0: Let's open the Word of God to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Let us come with rejoicing and trembling before His Word. It's a high honor and a blessed privilege to be able to preach to you this morning. Revelation chapter 20, an event that is soon going to occur in this universe. And the world tells us nothing about it. They're ignorant of it. But it will take them by surprise, as Psalm 73 described. And and in a moment, they shall be brought into great confusion and to their destruction. I read to you the last five verses of Revelation chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne... into the lake of fire. Amen and amen. Amen. This event most surely will take place. The God that wrote this book to us and opened it with the words, in the beginning God, in the end, is going to destroy all the wicked before the great white throne judgment. And we can see it here. And ought to cause us to tremble and yet, we, it ought to cause us to rejoice and to look for the reasons why we will not be included in this judgment. It is not my purpose to go through the phrases or clauses or verses of this passage, but to look at several. This is the end of the wicked. This is the future of the world. To be judged by Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ and to experience what this passage calls the second death, which is to be cast into the lake of fire. Verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The issue at stake is whether your name is in the book of life or not. Right. In order to avoid the lake of fire. In this chapter, if we back up to the 6th verse, we are given some hope. It says in the 6th verse, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. From this verse... I would just like you to observe that there is a first resurrection. You can understand now the first death and the second death. The first death is the small event of the death of your body. The second death is body and soul being cast into the lake of fire. But here's a first resurrection that saves us from the second death. We would like to know more about it. But whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When we come back to chapter 17 of Revelation in the 8th verse, and I did appreciate the martyrs' memorial this morning, where the martyrs confessed that they were being put to death by the beast and its image, and their understanding was accurate as most martyrs, understanding of who was putting them to death was accurate during the dark ages of Europe. But the eighth verse, it's a long one, but follow with me. We want what is in the middle of it. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they shall behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. That's the death of the pagan and the revival of the papal Roman Empire. The was and is not and yet is. But notice, the names were written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. The names do not get written in the book of life based on something that you or I do, but something that God does. He chooses to put our names there. If we come back to 13:8 we can get a second witness for this fact of the gospel. 13:8 and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him speaking of the same monstrosity of the Roman Catholic church whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In some reading of Calvinist you will find the expression the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That is just confused reading on their part in this 8th verse because the prepositional phrase from the foundation of the world as we learned from 17.8 is not modifying the lamb slain but modifying when the names were written. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The names were written there before the world began. Let's come back to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. The matter before us is of the greatest importance. And it makes the gospel indeed glad tidings of good things. Luke chapter 10 beginning at verse 17. And the 70 returned again, that is, they came back to the Lord Jesus Christ after he had sent them out. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Oh, to have heard that about us. Oh, to have had this passage written about us. This is the Lord Jesus Christ identifying some whose names were written in heaven. Let's come over to Philippians chapter 4. And it ought to be a great cause of joy to know that your names are written in heaven. Philippians chapter 4. No wonder the Savior said that though I'm giving you power over all the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you, the fact that your name is in the book of life is far greater than any of that. Philippians 4.3. The Apostle Paul And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Would you have liked to have heard that epistle read with you in the pew? Whose names are in the book of life. If you were these women that the Apostle Paul is identifying as having served the kingdom of heaven so well, and he states that their names are in the book of life, wouldn't that be comforting? That is why I'm preaching this series. I want to show you how to know that your name is in the book of life. You don't get it there by something you've done. You can reveal the fact that it's there by the things you do. And we want to see that, learn that, and be comforted in it by the gospel of our Lord and Savior. So we have some apostles whose names were in the book of life, and we have some members there at Philippi, and uh, women included, that were in the book of life. Now let's come back to John chapter 5, and let's learn a little bit more about the first resurrection, since the first resurrection saves us from the second death. You say, what's the second resurrection? Well, that's the resurrection of your bodies. So what do you think the first resurrection is? I'm about to show you. Verse 25 of John 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil, under the resurrection of damnation. There are two resurrections. Right here in front of you, written down by the same apostle that wrote the revelation. And he's telling you the two resurrections. One is spiritual, one is physical. The first resurrection is being born again. It's being quickened into life. It's being resurrected from death in trespasses and sins. It is in the 25th verse. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. This is not active hearing. This is passive hearing in both resurrections. Right. When we get down to verses 28 and 29 and it says all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. That is not active hearing. The dead corpses that are in the earth and in the sea and throughout our planet are not actively hearing Jesus say, come forth, His life-giving voice will resurrect everybody, everybody of the righteous and the wicked and call them forth as easily as He called Lazarus forth in John chapter 11. In verse 25, they don't hear actively either. They are called into life By the Lord Jesus Christ who can speak the word and say, Live! As Ezekiel 16 describes it, And they live. You say, Has He spoken for me? This is not the preached word. No preacher is going to bring about the resurrection of dead bodies in verses 28 and 29. There's no preacher involved in verse 25. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking in both places. I am the resurrection and the life. And He has a life-giving voice and the power to raise the dead. This is the first resurrection in verse 25. It is the second resurrection in verses 28 and 29. And after verses 28 and 29 occur, then you have Revelation chapter 20, 11-15. For these wicked that are brought forth to the resurrection of damnation have the riot act read against them from the books of God's law and they are cast into the lake of fire because their works condemned them that they were not righteous while they were on earth, but wicked. And they will be cast into hell for their sins. They are not cast into hell for God's electing decrees. They are cast into hell for their works. But whosoever was found written in the book of life is not cast into the lake of fire. They shall live and reign with Christ a thousand years right now, and they shall spend eternity with him after this great white throne judgment. You say, how can I know that Jesus Christ has said, live to me? Verse 24 is how. Jesus is giving an explanation of what makes a difference in men's lives. Why most of the Jews did not believe his preaching, preaching, not resurrecting voice, preaching, and why some did. John 5, 24. Verily, verily. I wonder why Jesus has to use that word all the time. Is, are these pretty important events and pretty important doctrine that's being set before us? The world and all of its vested education and intelligence knows nothing about the most important events. They play around with little soap bubbles and idiotic inventions of theirs that prove nothing. It's fool's gold given by God to keep them happy with themselves and thinking that there's something and he is going to bring them into nothing in a moment. And I love him. John five twenty four. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. This is active believing on the part of active hearers. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Is when he believes in the possession of everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation. He will not be cast into the lake of fire. Shall not. Future. The future event of Revelation 20 is here we're told in John chapter 5 shall not happen to these that are hearing and believing, but is past from death unto life. Is past from death unto life. When you go from death to life, what's it called? It's an R word and it's long. And sometimes you might write it with one or two R's. Resurrection! It's the first resurrection. Jesus introduces the first resurrection. Then he explains both resurrections in 25 through 29. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. He is in possession of everlasting life. In the future, he shall not come into condemnation. He is already, has been, passed from death into life. When it says is past, from death into life. That is a perfect, present tense verb, meaning it is an action that was completed in the past so that it is perfected before the present. That's what the present perfect means. It is an action perfected before the present because the hearing and the believing is present. So, Jesus speaks the word, live. And his elect live by regenerative power. They hear, present tense, and believe. Well, when, when they live, they're in possession of eternal life. Does that make obvious sense to you? When when they hear the word live, they have passed from death into life. That means they're in the possession of everlasting life so that we get the half everlasting life. So we've got Jesus speaking, live, which passes them from death unto life. They're in possession of eternal life. They then hear and believe the gospel, and they shall not come into condemnation. So this verse, when you hear the preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, do you believe on Him that sent Him, that is Almighty God sending His Son? And do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And have you fallen before them both and repented of your sins and come clean, embracing them by faith that He is indeed the Son of God? You're in possession of everlasting life you shall not come into condemnation. And sometime before you did that, you were born again. And then if you want to know how it happened, it's by the life-giving voice of the Son of God in verse 25. Now, one of the things that we're going to accomplish in this study, and by the grace of God I am very excited about it, is to correct the notion of so many, almost all, that faith is a great evidence. Now in this place, it is the evidence. He that heareth and believeth. And when you look at the Jewish nation, it was a pretty stark difference. Right. Most of the nation wanted to kill him. Some of the nation loved him. What made the difference? Right here. So it just mentions faith because you only had to go that far and the Jews were already disqualified. That's why the Apostle Paul would say in Acts chapter 13, ye have judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. And why? Because they rejected the preaching of the gospel. So you didn't have to go any further. But if you want to add to your confidence, if you want to add to your good faith, then 2 Peter 1 gives us some things to add, but that's not where we're turning. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. There is so much ballyhooed emphasis placed on faith. We want to put the emphasis where the Bible puts the emphasis. The devils believe. Everyone believes. Everyone in America is a Christian. If I were to take you downtown after this service and just walk Main Street, do you believe in Jesus? Of course. Everyone's a Christian. We would have to hunt and peck to find an atheist. Even though there's far more of them than there have been in the past. It doesn't mean anything. The devils believe and tremble. But the reason that it is sufficient in many cases for the apostles or the Lord himself to go no further is because just that separated the nation. And because of Jesus, there was a great division among the Jews. Three times stated in the Gospel of John just over the issue of faith. But if we want to make sure that we have a real faith and we want to come to a place like Galatians 5-6, and I hope that this text will remain with you for a long time. It's a short one. Galatians 5-6, Paul wrote, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Amen. Oh, now we're getting closer to the gospel. Now we're getting closer to what the Bible teaches. Now we're getting to where John wants to lead us. See, the average Christian has never read past John 3.16. In fact, they have never read up to John 3.16. It's the only verse of John they know. But John is the one that emphasizes love as the great evidence of eternal life above all the rest. It is John that identifies in both his gospel and his epistles that Jesus had taught from the beginning a new commandment. And that new commandment was truly an old commandment, but it was now a new commandment because there was new emphasis being placed on it. The love of the brethren. Galatians 5.6, now since the whole book of 40 writers was inspired by one spirit, there should be complete harmony, and there is. So we have the Apostle Paul writing us that these poor Galatians, who had bought into the Jewish legalist lie that circumcision was necessary in order to be saved, Paul just says, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. In Jesus Christ, it is entirely dependent upon his death for you, not circumcision or not being circumcised. And if you want evidence of whether you're in Christ or not, if you want to know you're a partaker of Christ, it is faith which worketh by love. Right. See, everyone believes today. You know, you can walk up to anybody and say, do you believe on Jesus? Yep. Do you believe on God? Yep. Do you believe that God sent his son Jesus? Yep. Doesn't mean anything. The devils believe and they believe a whole lot more than that because the devils never say, yep. You know what the devils say? They fall on their faces before the Lord Jesus Christ and they say without any prompting, we know thee who thou art. Thou art the Holy One of God. Art thou come to torment us before our time? They absolutely know that He is the Lord of the universe. They absolutely know that He is the Lord of all principalities and powers. They absolutely know that He shall cast them into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Because it was prepared for the devil and his angels. But it is faith which worketh by love. Now, First Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, some of these verses are going to be repeated from last Sunday, this Sunday, probably next Sunday, doesn't matter, repetition is how we learn, and the Apostle Peter said as long as he was alive, he would keep stirring your pure minds up by way of remembrance and and repetition. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want to remind you of this passage because it tells us how we can know that a person is elect of God. It says that in verse four, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And as we come to places like this, you know, we want to, we want to really pay attention to what is said there because we want to know whether we are God's elect or not. Verse two, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. It must have been an impressive display. It was not a flash in the pan. It was a continued passionate effort on their part for the apostle to remember without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. So there you can see the work of faith. See, it's only belief that results in a changed life. It's only belief that results in good works. That is faith that counts the work of faith. Devils believe faith without works is dead. Faith without works is like a corpse in the morgue. It's the cold, clammy body without the spirit. The spirit is what makes everything work. The spirit of faith is its works. Without the works, there's no spirit in the corpse. It's a dead corpse. It's worthless. Show me your faith. Don't tell me about it. Show me your faith, is what the Bible says. The work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Amen. So that agrees with Galatians 5, 6. Remember, what is Galatians 5, 6? But faith that worketh by love. Amen. So let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 1, that other favorite place that we like to go when we're trying to answer our question or someone else's question. How can I know I'm one of God's elect? 2 Peter chapter 1. In verses five through eight, we have eight things listed that we are supposed to add to show that we are God's elect. See, it's verse 10. We've been over this many times, but we're going to go over it many times again. Because if you were to read verses 12 through 15, you would find out that Peter spends four verses explaining why he is redundant yep. Amen. and repetitive, even though they're already established or so they thought. In the present truth, he is going to remind them of these things because they are that important. Verse 10 says that by giving diligence, you can make your calling and election sure. For if you do these, that's a plural, things, plural, ye shall never fall. If for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. Oh, we don't want to be in Revelation 20 and verse 15. We want to have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So there are some things that we better be doing. And when we look at the list, it's in verses 5 through 8. It is, just look at it, it is faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, and then these two, brotherly kindness and charity. Two aspects of love are stuck into the list of eight. Two angles of looking at love are stuck into the list of eight seven of which are to be building on faith because faith by itself is really no good at all. So we need to add to that faith. God knows whether faith is sincere or not. You can't know whether faith is sincere or not. And we can't know whether faith is sincere or not. So all that works is faith, which worketh by love. And notice when you get to the top of this pyramid, the top two levels of it, our brotherly kindness and charity. So it backs up what the apostle wrote faith which worketh by love. What we're trying to find out is, is my name in the book of life? Your name is in the book of life if you had part in the first resurrection. Being in the first resurrection is being born again. Hearing and believing was in John chapter 5 and verse 24. But now we're finding out that that faith needs to result in works and that faith should have added to it some other things culminating in love by two different definitions and descriptions. Let's come now to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I thank God through Jesus Christ for the glory and wonder of Scripture. This book though you start with Revelation 20 and verse 15, has enormous comfort for those who believe and work their faith by love. And there is so much comfort designed into this book. And I want to share it with you for as long as it takes. First John chapter 3. Only one verse this time. It's actually verses ten through twenty four that deal with this subject of love, faith that's working by love. I want you to notice when God the Holy Spirit tells Paul, write in Galatians five six, faith which worketh by love. Notice what he tells John to write in first John three twenty-three. And this is his commandment. How many commandments is a commandment? One. One. This is His commandment, that we should believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another as He gave us commandment. (laughs) That sounds like faith working by love, doesn't it? But we want verse 19. 10 through 24. 15 verses about loving the brethren. And then in 19 it says, if if you were to read this passage, and you did last Sunday, last Saturday evening, the Lord willing, if you read this passage... You come to this 19th verse and it says, this is what you can learn by loving others. You, it, you know, and loving others is not sending them a card and it's not praying for them. It's laying down your life for them. Right. It's giving up your time. It's giving up your money. It's giving up your emotion. It's giving up your feelings. It's giving up your preferences. It's giving up for them because that's what's described in both this third chapter and the fourth chapter is God's shown us how to love and for our love to count as love, it's got to look like God's love. That's how we dwell in love. And much more will be said on that in detail, but I just want the nineteenth verse right now because we are trying to find that if our names are in the book of life, and if we have been in part of the first resurrection, and if we are born again. First John three nineteen, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Oh yes! We want our hearts assured. We want our hearts assured. Our names are in the book of life. We want our hearts assured we have a part in the first resurrection. We want our hearts assured we've been born again. And we're told right here, we can assure our hearts. And it is based on loving like God has loved us. God has given us the example of love by sending His Son. And in both chapters, 3 and 4, that is the standard, and anything less than that doesn't count. It doesn't matter that you pray for anybody. Nowhere is that described as an act of love. Nowhere. It's serving. It's getting over your pet peeves. It's getting over your preferences. It's getting down and condescending to men of low degree. It's embracing them. It's encouraging them. It's sacrificial. It's costly. It's personal. It's intimate. It's shameless. It's willing to do anything. It's God sending His Son for us. Right. We can assure our hearts before Him. Now, see, if you go back to verse 14, and we've got to leave this chapter because I'll get in more trouble than I am in, but if we go back to verse 14, look at what the words there are. We know that we have... Passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. He is not born again. He is not born again. It doesn't matter if he believes. The devils believe. It's faith which worketh by love. This is the character of a Christian. They serve others. In the love that God has loved them and with which they love God and it feeds through them because God dwelleth in them and God is love. And John repeated that over and over again. And so we want to be, we want to love our brethren. And so the emphasis is placed on that. And notice what it says. We have, we know that we have passed from death into life. Now back up. We know. That we're passed from death into life with John 5, 24. We know that we're part of the first resurrection. We know that the second death will have no power on us. Where does it all come from? Loving the brethren. Devils never love the brethren. Right. It's amazingly different. The world doesn't love the brethren. If we were to go down street and interview, they don't love the brethren. This is loving people for only the fact that they are Christ's. They're not your friends. Showing hospitality to your friend is not an act of love. It doesn't even hit the measurement scale of Almighty God and the Word of God. In fact, it's an offense to Him when you take your friend out to eat, who then takes you out to eat the next time. Sinners do that. It's taking those out to eat that can't repay you and who provides you conversation while you're eating that is near nauseous. That counts. Because they're socially inept. Because they're verbally incompetent. Then it counts. We know that we have passed. Oh. Thank you, Lord. Don't, doesn't everybody want to get up right now and just go around and embrace each other? But you know what? Oh, that would just be a show. Because it takes more than that. Right. It takes actually caring for another person and doing something for them that is costly and sacrificial, that is personal and intimate. It is giving up for them like God gave. How much did God give up for us? Does it say that in these two chapters that God gave up His only begotten Son right. for us? And you worry about your plans for the day? He'll remind you of that comparison someday. Just before you hit the water of the lake of fire. Our lives should be burned out for others. One soul at a time. Chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Brethren, there is a way to know whether you are in the book of life. You can assure your heart. You know what the verses went on to say, but we're going to come... Well, don't worry. We're going to deal with the verses in depth. You say, but what if my heart still condemns me? Well, God is greater than your heart, and God knoweth all things, and God has just specified that love of the brethren is proof that your name is in the book of life. You say, but what if I have a real problem with my heart condemning myself? then you need to believe the gospel, and I'll take as long as I need to to help you. Look at, I know you're in chapter 4 now, but you can look across the page at verse 20. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. (laughs) Do you remember Jesus with Peter? Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? (sighs) Three times. Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He didn't lay claim, God knows. And the way you can assure your heart as to what God knows about you is love. It's not faith. Faith is just where we start. That's why we're supposed to add so much to it and build this build this huge building on top of faith. You know, the fat there's a there's a new book up here on the platform that you can take a look at. It's I've bought a few copies of it recently. It's one of the four that was given to me that that changed my life. But see, changing my life by reading four books and coming to a new understanding of grace and believing that new understanding of grace, that was just getting me caught up to the devils. Do the devils understand salvation by grace? Yes, they understand that they were overlooked and God's elect were pulled above them to be the sons of God. They understand that. That isn't proof of eternal life. What's proof of eternal life is when a selfish person Becomes a sacrificial person. This is I'm I'm building up to my favorite verse on this, one of my favorite verses on this subject. I I didn't want to commit myself too much, but look at 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21 are the 15 verses here that teach the same thing. When you read the epistle of John, you're saying, why is he? Why is he repeating himself so much? Because he wants to establish without a doubt some comfort for your soul that you can know that your name is in the book of life and that you are born again. Remember, he told you in 5.13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Well, what things did he write? Well, chapter 2, from 4 to about 10... Or 11 is love, 3, 10 through 24 is love, 4, 7 to 21 is love. That's what he wrote. And then he repeated again in chapter 5 when he said, Does this sound familiar? 1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's John 5, 24 repeated. Whosoever believeth, present tense, that Jesus is the Christ is born. Perfect present tense, a perfected action from the past. You're born again first, then you believe. So there's the faith. But look at the second half of the verse. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. A born again person is not just going to believe, a born again person is also going to love. Right. Faith which worketh by love. Faith which worketh by love. Faith which worketh by love. Is the evidence of eternal life. And that is a changed life when it's faith which worketh by love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17, in the middle of all this description about God is love and God dwells in us when we love others and His Spirit is proven to be in us when we love others because we would not love others without His Spirit. It says in verse 17, herein is our love made perfect. That is by learning to love others the way God loves. Is because it's based on verse 16. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. That is real love, the way God gave. And it says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. What is that talking about? As he is, so are we. The way he loves, we love. The way he loves, we love. In this world, He has changed us so drastically if we're born again that we have Him dwelling in us and His Spirit is shedding abroad His love for us and how we should love others. And so we are like God in our loving of others while we're here in this world. And look at what it says in the verse. That she may have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness right. not survival, not I was barely saved. Boldness mm-hmm. and brethren, I'm talking to you about a life changing grace, a life changing virtue, loving others. Selfless seeketh not its own is love. I will get to the definition of love, but not today. The definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us the greatest evidence that we have of eternal life, and it is life-changing. Faith is not life-changing. It's only faith that works that is life-changing. It's the work of faith. It's faith which worketh by love that shows that we're far different from the devil's. It shows that God is in us. Because love is such a different trait than faith. Now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, and the greatest of these is faith. Or is that wrong? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Amen. If I spoke with the tongues of men and of angels, does it do me any good as a minister? If I don't have charity. If I understood all mysteries and all knowledge, Does it do me any good without charity? No. If I gave my body to be burned and had a martyr's memorial read for me, does it work? Not without charity. Is charity pretty important? That's why Paul told the Corinthians who were so wrapped up in their gifts, he said, yet show I unto you a more excellent way, loving others. Mm. This is the assurance of eternal life. I look at the text that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. My job as your pastor is to preach the word of God to you in such a way as to comfort you and instruct you and move you to where we can all die. Those of us that are God's elect, we can all die And have boldness in the day of judgment. I want you to notice something about the text. It doesn't say that we may have boldness in the day of death. Dying is easy in comparison to what comes next. Hear the warning of the gospel. It is appointed to man once to die. And after that, the judgment. Who cares about that death rattle? When your soul, when your spirit leaves your body and meets the Lord. What about the day when that body... And that soul are put back together and you stand before Almighty God and the lake of fire is right there and the devil and his angels have just been thrown into it and they've looked through the books and you deserve to be in the lake of fire and they go to the book of life and you're not there. That is a bad event coming. That is something terrifying. God's made it such that when we die... Our strength and our conscience, consciousness are usually taken from us by degrees before we get there so that it is not all that difficult. But, oh, you'll be fully awake. There will be no senility when you stand before God and are cast in the lake of fire. But that is not my purpose right now. My purpose is to tell you 1 John chapter 4, in verse 17 says that we can have boldness not just in the day of our death, but in the day of judgment. Right. Amen. So we believe on Christ. We run to Christ and embrace Him. And as we embrace Him, as we believe on Him, we are given the earnest of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit within us, And that Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God. And that love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And we're filled with love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're filled with love for God. And His love descends upon us. And it fills us. And our love proceeds back to Him. And we express it from our hearts. We express it with our lips and we embrace everyone around us who loves that same Christ and who loves that same God, and we will sacrifice our lives for our brethren. We will give up anything. We will be personal. We will be intimate. We will be encouraging. We will be face-to-face with them. We will do anything we can for them to embrace them and serve them like God served us. And when we do it, our faith has been working by love, and we can know that we have passed from death into life, backing up, that means that we have been born again. That means that we are part of the first resurrection. That means the second death hath no power over us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Help me assure my trembling heart, O Lord, we should all pray. Give me boldness in the day of judgment. Teach me that new way of living. Stop me from being self-righteous. Stop me from being selfish. Let me reach outside of myself and use my energies and my time. Let me burn myself out for other souls one at a time. The Apostle Paul did that. He said, the more I love you, the less I be loved. But he just kept right on loving and giving. Let that be true of all of us. That's why Paul could say, That I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith, and there's a crown of life reserved for me. Let this change your life. If you're born again, you have all the power within you to do it. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, and this is his good pleasure. It's exciting to come up to come to a verse that says, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment is exciting. That is flat out exciting. That come to a verse that says we can assure our hearts. And if still we have a little condemnation coming up from our heart. We can heart God's greater than you. God knows all things. And God said that this is the best evidence that I am his. Because I look like him in this world by loving others like he loved me. May God bless the preaching of his word.